Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Inclusive Class Podcast. Through our interviews and discussions, it's our goal to explore the promise and practice of inclusive education. I'm Nicole Eredix and I'm one of your hosts for the show. I'm a parent, inclusion teacher, and creator of the online resource, theinclusiveclass.com. And joining me here on the Inclusive Class is my co-host, Terry Morrow. Hi, Terry. Good morning, Nicole, and welcome to all our listeners. I am Terry Morrow. I'm the author of 50 Ways to Support Your Child's Special Education, and I write about special needs for about.com at specialchildren.about.com. I'd like to mention to anybody out there listening to us live that we are not taking phone calls, but I am opening up the chat room today, or at least I had it. It seems to have gone away. So if you can't get in, oh, well. I don't know why that happened. But um, you can't talk to us after all. Blog Talk Radio will not allow it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we're uh, it's uh, it's been an interesting week here in North, uh, New Jersey. We're all kind of getting back on our feet, at least in my part of the state, Uh Schools are coming back open. My kids are back in college after a week of closure. And uh, um, just having to uh, plan out your gas usage. But other than that, at least for us in, in our part of the uh, my particular cul-de-sac of the state anyway, uh, things are pretty much back to normal. We're planning classes already for next semester, which is sort of mm-hmm. mind-blowing. And yeah. uh, um, I, had a, I had a little... Uh, advocacy flashback yesterday I was my daughter was in class and she got an email saying that one of her classes for next semester is closed and it's one that she needs to get her degree and if she can't get it she'll have to go a whole extra semester and of course I build up to a certain level of hysteria sitting there all by myself and uh you know wound up uh, jumping on it with all my all my advocacy skills that I haven't been able to use <laughs> She's been in college, you know, because it's not my job anymore. But, oh, my gosh, they can't do this to her. And I fired off an angry email and got a response back saying, oh, yeah, it's back on. Never mind. So so, uh, I had had an advocacy flashback there and embarrassed myself a little bit. So I'm going to go back to just sitting around doing nothing now. Doing nothing. Well. (laughs) Trying not to pay attention to things that, that are not mine to get upset about. Sour things uh, there out in uh, California, Nicole. California, California. I'm not sure actually because I had to make a quick trip home to Canada. So right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I'm just back within the last 24 hours. So I'm still uh, uh, readjusting to the whole climate change. And <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> although mind you, um, when I it usually rains up there. So, uh, but however, when I was up there on my last visit, it was nice and sunny, and then I returned to California, and it's actually raining here for a change. So, it's, you know, my my world has turned upside down. I don't know what to do <laughs> with uh, <laughs> with uh, this weather. But anyway, I, nothing compared to what you are going through back east. And um, But I'm certainly glad to hear that, you know, for some people, things are getting back on track. And um, yeah. I know that our show last week, we talked about disruptions for children with special mm-hmm. needs, and it's actually become quite a popular show if you haven't heard it already. Right. So... Yeah, people have been turning, tuning in and listening. And, uh, it's hopefully the time of year for that topic, advice. I think. Mm-hmm, definitely warranted, I think. Um, anyway, I wanted to move on and talk about our show today because we are going to be talking about uh, an important topic, one that's close to my heart because 
there's such a misunderstanding as to what inclusive education is in the classroom, uh, never mind, you know, outside of the classroom and other areas of school and what that looks like and how that can happen. And one of those areas is physical education. And you and I have talked about this before, Terry, about the difference between, you know, a child who is participating to the fullest physical extent possible or you know, a child as opposed to a child who is a scorekeeper, or you know, yes. the, the the kid that goes and gets the balls, or you know, there's a real difference between authentic, inclusive experience and one that is perhaps just um, I don't know, <laughs> filling a. And I think I've, I've mentioned role. how much as a young child I would have loved to be the person who was the scorekeeper and the person getting mm-hmm. the balls. So it's not necessarily it's kids have varying abilities whether they're special needs or not, and so. <laughs> You know, some kids with disabilities would like to be included. Some kids without disabilities would like to be sitting up on the bleacher with the paraprofessional. That would have been my ideal spot. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's giving that child an opportunity. Yeah. You know, if they're fully capable. But let's let's leave that to our our expert guests today who can uh, continue that sort of, you know, level of awareness for us in terms Mm -hmm. of what inclusive physical education is because we are speaking with Matt Shinelli this morning, who has a background, an extensive background in inclusive physical education, and I'd like to say good morning to him. Good morning, Matt. How are you, ladies? Thank you for this opportunity. I I really appreciate it, and uh, looking forward to hopefully helping some families and maybe school systems along the way. Wonderful. Well, we are sure you will be able to help out and give some tips and advice because you have a a very, very, a very extensive background working with children and families and communities who have um, special needs that are, you know, wanting to be a little bit more included in physical education. Can you tell us a bit more about the work that you do and a little bit about your background before we get started? Sure, absolutely. Um, I um, was uh, part of a family with an individual with a disability. Uh, My brother David uh, had learning disabilities uh, growing up and... um, Later on, um, kind of acquired schizophrenia in his late teens. Uh, so uh, my world was always one that was kind of inclusive. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there was no separation because it was my brother. So it was a very intimate experience when we did things as a family, act- athletically, uh, recreationally, and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. After finishing high school, I went to Old Dominion University where I studied health and physical education and became involved in uh, some of the um, programs that they offered for individuals with special needs. Fortunately, one of my professors saw uh, something in me and recommended that I uh, apply to the University of Virginia, which offered a master's program in adaptive physical education. Um, They must have been looking the other way, but somehow they allowed me (laughs) into the program. And from that, I uh, was really very fortunate to learn and study under uh, to this day, still uh, two of the foremost authorities in adaptive physical education and inclusive physical education, Dr. Luke Kelly, who developed the national standards, one of the lead people who developed the national standards for adaptive physical education, and Dr. Marty Block, who is probably the foremost authority on inclusive physical education. Mm-hmm. Um, when I left the university, I returned back to New Jersey, where I was from, and began to uh, teach. Um, I taught for the last 20 years, first in the Newark Public Schools, then in the West Orange Public Schools, and for the last 10 years I've 
had the really great fortune of working in the Livingston Public Schools. At the same time, I founded an organization, uh, njape.org, which stands mm -hmm. for New Jersey All People Equal. Um, and I tried to use that as um, a vehicle to advocate for not only the needs of individuals with special needs within recreation and physical education, but also the professionals that really uh, hadn't received the type of training that is required um, to help everyone be successful, mm -hmm. themselves included. So yeah. that's kind of the, the long or short story of who I am. Um, my group has had the opportunity to service over 25 different school systems in the state, uh, presented at many, many conferences, and dealt with many families on a personal level uh, to help them to, again, advocate, but really implement uh, successful, uh, inclusive uh, themes and programs and concepts uh, mm -hmm. in the realm of physical education and recreation. So given all of the situations that you've been in and seen, what is your assessment of the present state of inclusive recreation, uh, physical education, and or sport opportunities for individuals with disabilities? Well, I, I think, you know, I, I try to, to view things in the most basic and straightforward manner so that I don't allow my personal bias to kind of skew the assessment. Mm -hmm. um, when I walk into local health club centers or pass by community recreation fields, I seldom see individuals with special needs uh, actively engaged with his or her fellow community members. And that's not to say that there aren't self-contained special needs programs running in those facilities, but mm -hmm. um, the, the really inclusive and authentic inclusive uh, programming just isn't there. I think that, you know, for the last 10, 15 years, there's definitely been a movement and really it's taken a foot as far as the advocacy of the needs, uh, but there's still yet to be um, a, a real substance in the programming. Now, in the physical education settings as far as in public school systems, the acceptance and the incorporation of individuals with special needs has grown. Some of that has been ideology, some of it's been economics. Um, but there is a higher percentage of children with special needs embedded into traditional general physical education programs. Right. The downside of that is, is that there has not been the training uh, that has risen in direct proportion to the students that have been incorporated in. Yeah, I agree. Now, what do you think that authentic inclusive programs have not, or sorry, why do you think, <laughs> not what, why do you think that these programs have not taken root as of yet? Well, again, I think that there, there's, there's a few basic reasons. One, we're all kind of living in um, a reality of a, what I call a gatekeeper approach. Mm -hmm. So um, mm -hmm. what that means is that I'm not Chinelli. I care about kids with disabilities, and you know I want to I want to run a program on a Saturday morning, and so I'm going to you know find the facility and get the equipment, and I'm going to help coordinate the parents, and I'm going to run the the program for six or eight weeks, and then we take a break and we start again, and and it's wonderful. But then mm -hmm. down the road, I have children, or my job gets changed, or something happens that prevents me from being there and doing it. So now all of a sudden the program begins to kind of dwindle down. And time and time again, this is what happens. And the reason that happens is because, again, it's that one person or one family mm -hmm. that either outgrows the program 
where some type of a displacement occurs and the gatekeeper is gone. Mm-hmm. The other reason uh, that I think that there's really not as many authentic, really inclusive programs as we need to have is comes back to the training. There's very little training provided for parents, coaches, teachers, recreation supervisors. Most mm-hmm. people in New Jersey who are involved in physical education or fitness or wellness or recreation took a three-credit course, one class in college, that had something to do with working with individuals with special needs. Mm-hmm. And for many people, that was quite a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So... Go ahead. Uh, are there uh, some areas in particular that you think are pivotal to uh, affect long-lasting change in how inclusive programs are executed? Well, I, you know, I think that if, if let's start with school systems. If school systems um, accepted uh, perhaps uh, a, a model where there was more internal support and, it, and they weren't as uh, reactive to parents' requests, uh, I think that the, the process would enhance itself kind of organically. So uh, here in the Livingston Public Schools, for example, for over 25 years we've had a developmental physical education program. Mm-hmm. Now, even when programs were self-contained, I mean, we now have moved on to an inclusive model, but this mm-hmm. program has existed, and, it, and it, it's basically a supplemental time where physical education teachers can assess the students that we believe are probably on the lower level. We have a little bit of extra time to teach them, but more importantly to learn who they are and how they learn and how they like to play so that when the general physical education class begins, we don't have to figure out how to incorporate Mm -hmm. them in an inclusive way. That groundwork was already done. So if school systems, I think, you know, were able to develop a model that allowed for that and provided that time and training, um, I think it would really enhance the overall experience for all students, not just the students with special needs. So, again, it comes back to training. Um, as far as townships, look at how many youth sport programs have exploded over the last 15 or 20 years. I mean, it's incredible. Um, but I would challenge any township to show me what specific training they provided to incorporate uh, students or t- children with uh, disabilities. So uh, there has to be that commitment. It's not easy. There's not a lot of people who have the expertise. But uh, in the same sense, if you fail to do that, um, you're really never going to achieve uh, an inclusive uh, state. Yeah. Well, that's that's the key to so much that we talk about. I feel like we talk about that every week, that you have to have – the the organizations have to want to do it. The school has to be behind it. They have to – to take the time and effort to strategize what is the best way to do this and not like, oh, geez, the state says we have to put the great, you know, special ed kids in with the regular kids in gym. You know, I'll just throw mm-hmm. them in. And if if they can't keep up, just have the aide take them off to the corner of the room. Yes. You know, you have to have people say it's not impossible to do if there's the organizational willingness to think about it a little bit. Uh, but I've certainly, you know, with my two kids, seen some really awkward attempts at uh, at in integrating in gym, and then, you know, once once my kids were in middle school and and uh, and high school, there was an adaptive physical ed teacher who was fabulous, and he would work with them. But they were in their own little class in the gym with everybody else, but in their own little class. So it wasn't quite. It was a step in the right direction, but it wasn't quite inclusion. 
so there's still a certain feeling like, well, they can't really compete. And as a parent, I don't necessarily want my kid with poor motor skills being thrown into the game of dodgeball with everybody else. So uh, what's an example, Matt, of, of a successful uh, inclusion experience um, for kids in school, would you say? Well, let's take a unit, let's say, uh, for uh, soccer. Uh, and, and traditionally, uh, a physical education program will have a few weeks to run the unit. There will be some instruction uh, that will lead into uh, gameplay. Um, if you look at typically how instruction is done, it's done in a, in, a, in a manner where they're trying to bring everyone to one point, you know, kind mm-hmm. of this homogeneous state. Uh, and that probably is, the, is one of the initial wrong steps that, that uh, stands in the way as a hurdle as an inclusive program model. Although we want everyone uh, to play together, to be together, to engage with each other, they're not all going to be able to end up at the same point within the game. So, mm-hmm. you know, allowing children to find where they're successful in the game and helping children to identify where they're successful really mm-hmm. helps. An example of this is there's there's at least three levels in every room. I mean, there's the, the kind of lower level where they're developing an understanding of the skill concept the emerging level where they have that conceptual understanding, but it's just a matter of practice, and then the high level that probably had that skill acquisition before they even walked in the room. But beyond that, there's actual uh, things that teachers should look for as far as energy levels. So Mm -hmm. which is a child that is an active, is a runner, is a goer? You know, that's the kid that we want to have chasing the ball, playing on the ball as much as possible. Um, children who may be kind of on the lower level of energy, where we want them to be in a a specific zone, such as a descending position, so that they're not traveling the whole field. It naturally plays into the nature of who they are, and it probably will make them feel more comfortable because conceptually they only have to play in one area. If you took this example and you looked at basketball and you said, well, look, in the NBA, you have really tall, big guys that can't shoot but their only job is to defend and to, and to you know, kind of take up space. Well, that's right. in the MBA. We mm-hmm. can do the same thing in middle school and high school and elementary school as we get into game play. Allow children to find and help them to find places where their energy level and their interest level are peak instead of mm-hmm. asking them to be in situations that maybe has a little over their heads. Yeah, and that's, that's as with so many things with inclusion, that benefits everybody, typical kids as well as kids with special needs. You know, there's certainly amongst a, a typical population a, a variation of skill levels. And, uh, you know, I'm sure I'm not the only person who was scarred by early gym experiences where everybody was expected to be able to do exactly the same high level of skills or you fail. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's uh, funny yeah. that uh, I wrote a paper um, this past year, and the title of it was Inclusion, who's really in. And the mm-hmm. premise of it really was examining how we view inclusion and that we're filtering kids to this top highest level of skill yes. acquisition where really only the minority of children exist. Yeah. And we should really be flipping that the other way and say to ourselves, look, it's not because of our effort or our love or our expertise, but the reality is, is that most children don't develop skills as fast as we think they do. It's very hard to do it in a group setting. And if we're pushing children towards the highest elite level, 
that's not going to really be there. You're going to hit a glass ceiling for various reasons. So, Mm -hmm. you know, who is in when we think about where we're pushing kids to? And, And my premise is if we flipped it and started thinking about the majority of children are the lower level emerging students and taught mm-hmm. to those strengths instead of to the strengths of a very small minority, um, mm-hmm. the inclusive movement would be much easier to figure out. Yes, such a great message. I really That really resonates with me. Sorry, I had to jump in there. But, <laughs> you know, having a son who's in high school sports right now and, you know, my, myself like Terry, you know, growing up having to play dodgeball every day. Yeah. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah. That really I mean, the good the good news point. is physical education has definitely changed. And, I mean, I've yeah. this is my 20th year of teaching, and so I've been in it long enough to know and see some of those changes. And the wellness movement has, has definitely caught on within physical education. And there are more opportunities to learn life skills, and learn lifetime leisure skills. Uh, Mm -hmm. The real challenge uh, still remains in how do you incorporate a child who is singularly focused, perhaps maybe on Harry Potter or perhaps Mm -hmm. on one type of activity. How do you find uh, and identify those values, those strengths that they have and incorporate Mm -hmm. into them? And, And that's part of letting go of the perception that we must teach to the highest level because mm-hmm. the reality is, is if you go to a soccer field on a Saturday morning, you'll see hundreds of six-year-olds or five-year-olds to ten-year-olds playing soccer. Yeah. If you return to those same fields and you followed those same kids and they mm-hmm. got to middle school, it would be in, the number would be in half. And when mm-hmm. you followed them to high school, there would only be 20 of them playing. Yeah. So yeah. the reality is there just aren't going to be spots for hundreds of kids if we're only teaching it and playing it in the traditional way. Yeah. Great what what can parents do to advocate for greater inclusive opportunities, both at school and in the community? I, th- I think two things. One, uh, parents need to play, too, and that's kind of yeah. my model. I mean, I think oh, I'm always amazed. <laughs> I'm always amazed at why parents drop off their kids to play, stand there to watch, cheer. I mean, they're good parents. And then mm-hmm. they go pay sometimes big money to go work out alone in a health club. Yeah. To me, if I were running a recreation program, I would set some rules that says, look, there's a certain amount of games every year where the family has to play. There's mm-hmm. a certain amount of games every year where uh, individuals from the community that want to play can take part of it. Right. This, again, creates that inclusive community sense. So I think if parents, one, start with, I want to be active, not just advocate. They'll mm-hmm. be much more inspired and, in, and educated on what the games need to do in order to be fair and to incorporate individual strengths. The other is, is I think, that, you know, they need to be educated. They need to attend and find, seek out training on the area that they find is important. And if fitness and physical education and wellness is important, Along the way, they have to step into that educational process so that when they mm-hmm. approach public schools or recreation coordinators, they're educated on, on what's going on. So many parents I deal with come into the scenario with frustration, desire, love, empathy, all of the emotions that are involved in, in, in being in the world of special needs, but they mm-hmm. have such little education. 
And, um, you know, it's something where if we can educate ourselves on how to buy a car, on how to buy a fridge, on how to buy a home, we should be more educated on how we can, you know, inclusively build programs so that we have the solutions to the problems along the way. Definitely. Now, NJAPE is making an effort to to make that information available to uh, uh, communities and families, right? Uh, What are, are some of the services that you offer? We provide uh, professional staff development services, training to school systems, daycares, recreation uh, departments, youth uh, program coaches, um, parent associations. Uh, Mm -hmm. The other thing that we try to provide is direct service and modeling where we think it's needed. So if an organization or a school system or a family group um, says, gee, we really want to get this started, we don't know how, We'll come in, we'll do a needs assessment of their community or their program center or their curriculum. We'll uh, look to uh, take the strengths and the core beliefs that they value in their community and continue them, but at the same time help to uh, get everyone to the same terminology and understanding of how to build inclusive programs. That's that's great. Um, Go ahead. Beyond that, um, NJAPE uh, is trying to advocate in the sense of through various publications, obviously presenting at different uh, conferences, and, and as, a, as, a, as a whole, trying to uh, put together professionals that have a little bit of a personal uh, background or expertise in this area so that we can help people to network. Again, my goal is really almost to put myself out of business as the gatekeeper to this expertise. <laughs> You know, uh-huh. I don't think it will happen, but if, if that's my focus, to help uh, each community have someone who becomes the expert, um, that right. will grow organically. Yeah. So uh, you have a website that uh, people could go on to find that information? Yes, it's www.njape.org. And, again, that okay. stands for New Jersey All People Equal. Great. And I'll have that up on the website, too, today for people who are looking for that information as well. So I'll make sure that it's up. Mm-hmm. I know. I, I heard you speak about this. I, I Maybe it was back in April at an autism conference, and I was so struck by the idea of, you know, uh, creating programs for the largest ability level instead of the smallest ability level, something that really resonated with me from having bad experiences in, in childhood of sports. I look at uh, the way the... Little League Challenger Division does baseball. My my uh, son plays in that, and the parents are out on the field playing with the kids, and it's a very positive experience. Everybody gets to hit. Everybody gets to run. There's a lot of, you know, just being outside and having physical activity, and it always struck me that if that experience was available to kids, not just with special needs, there are a lot of them that could appreciate it. And right. if we could start inclusion there, start including typical kids in the in the special programs as well as including special kids in the typical programs, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you could get this broad base going. Whereas, as uh, there would be a lot of kids, I would have enjoyed that when I was a kid, just being able to get out, no pressure, nobody yelling at you if you don't do it right, just well, being outside, running around with your family and your friends. Physical education programs are pushing people and promoting people and building them towards the eventual outcome of being able to play sports for the rest of their life and be active. Uh Uh, The problem is is that 
there's a very small percentage of those programs that exist. And mm-hmm. part of it is because, again, we're teaching to the minority, and yeah. we really need to teach to the majority. Definitely. And, and uh, you know, that's a way that I think that the inclusion movement can benefit Everybody, you know, we yeah. were always trying yeah. to illustrate this. It's good for everybody. This is a situation where it's good for everybody. If we can just flip our thinking that it's not like, well, we can't have that kid with special needs on our little league team because we're competitive and we're trying to win the state championship. But there's a whole other level that could be inclusive. And uh, it just uh, doesn't exist from any place that I'm seeing, but I'm hopeful that uh, the work you're doing will help that to come about. I think it's a much-needed thing. Mm-hmm and can start developing those relationships that can lap over into inclusion on all sorts of levels. And that's our school bell. It means we've run out of time today. Uh, This is a topic we could certainly talk about for a long time more, although I never thought that I would want to be talking about physical education. (laughs) (laughs) One of my least favorite things, but I, you know, what you made how how you're discussing it, Matt, is is seems right on to me. Yeah. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Uh, and I'd like thank to thank ladies. our listeners for tuning into our program this morning. Please join us again next Friday at 9 a.m. Uh, Eastern Time when we will have a guest, though at this point we don't necessarily know who that guest is going to be. Perhaps it will be just us. Uh, in the meantime, you can also follow us on Twitter, where Nicole tweets under the name inclusive underscore class, and I am at Mamatude, M-A-M-A-T-U-D-E. You can also find archives to our past shows on my blog at www.mamatude.blogspot.com. Also, our show is now available on Stitcher and iTunes as a podcast for free download. Uh, Goodbye to everybody, and have a great week. Goodbye. Thank you, Matt. Have a great week. And this is where the outro music should be playing, except my computer is showing a little beach ball. So we will just say goodbye and hang up. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Goodbye, everybody. Technical difficulties. Goodbye. (laughs) 